How are those shows on sessions? They're okay. They're fun. Yeah. I mean, it's not like being at a live show. Is it just, you're just watching a, like a concert on TV? Yeah. A little more interact. Well, it depends on the band. Okay. Depends on the band. Um, some are in more interactive, like just talking to the audience. And then some are really just really. So can you interact with the band? No, no, no. It's, it's more just like they're playing, but well, no, I guess there's a chat. Yeah. There's a chat as well that people oh, yeah? are, can interact with. Yeah. And so how is the band interacting with the crowd? Um, sometimes they're taking questions. I know, I know there's okay. like, I was, I was saying to Kel, I was surprised the show that we watched this past weekend. Yeah. Um, how little the musician interacted um, versus the other one. His, his was more of a show. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if they're interacting necessarily with the chat, um, but what's interesting is you can actually buy upgrades. So you could do like a VIP meet and greet beforehand for a hundred bucks or whatever. You know what I mean? oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that. And they only allow so many people to buy the meet and greet. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hey, this is Paul Chin, musician, producer, internet phenomenon, and this is Welcome to the Music. Welcome, 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 welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Really, thanks really appreciate the time. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. It's, uh, you know, just nice to talk to people who don't live in my own house. Do <laughs> you have a lot of people there that live in your house that you're sick and tired of? Uh, not a lot. I mean, I'm not sick and tired of any of them. Uh, sure. I live with my wife and uh, my best friend, and uh, that's cool, but it's also just they're still the same people they were a year ago, and... Uh, yeah, I, I'm all out of variety. <laughs> I, I can't believe as soon as you said that it has been almost a year. Yeah, we're coming up on our coming one up. anniversary. It is, it is nuts. How, like, so let me ask you this right off the bat then. Um, how, how have you been keeping? Uh, this may come as a surprise to literally anybody, but I'm good. I'm good. I'm, uh, good built for this life uh and all it took was a global pandemic to allow me the luxury to live it um yeah i mean it's great even before this my my whole ethos had gradually become one of i don't really want to leave the house unless i'm going out to get paid or going out to get my friends paid um you know i'm just trying to have a good time and then come home and just make stuff that i like and yeah now i have every excuse in the world to do that and I get to look like a responsible and kind and caring human being for doing so. So <laughs> did you did you have your your like did you have your whole setup and studio in the house before we went got into all this? Uh yeah, not on the level it is now, because as you okay. can see, my face is beautiful and glowing. <laughs> and I've got my uh Sony A7 III camera acting as a way overpowered webcam. And if the GoPro behind was back, I could hit a switch and then you'd see that. Um, yeah, it, so everything was in the house. And I finally just had an excuse to spend the last little bit of money uh, just kind of pulling it all together so that I never have to leave ever again. <laughs> so once... once incredibly antisocial, I realize, but yeah. you know, it's just I, I don't like a lot of stuff i just really like the things that i like and now i just have had to find that enthusiasm for things that i like inside my own house oh that's what i'm doing now fair enough fair enough are you also you know you've you've sort of um you know spruced up and spiced up your your setup there um are you also one of those people that's looking for a bigger place as well 
Uh, I mean, who can afford to look for any other place than the ones they're in right now? Uh, you know, we all thought that the pandemic was going to finally lay some justice to the real estate market in Toronto, and no, it only exacerbated things. So, I don't know. I mean, in general, I'm not. I hope I never have to move. Like I've been at the place I've been at since like 2012, and you know, we're very happy here. You know, my wife also works from home uh, a lot of the time as well. We have the space and the freedom and the flexibility to do that. We have multiple floors in the place we live. So we got a floor. Our housemate has a floor. Then there's a living room. Uh, like this, the setup we have is great. And, nice. you know, the pl- the spot is rent controlled. So I could never find another place like this at this price point, even if I, I tried. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's been it's been great. I I'm very fortunate. I I fully realize and I fully acknowledge this. I'm very fortunate to have had kind of you know all the ducks in a row that I had before this. Completely never planning for this to be the reality that we live right. in. But sure. my crib is great. All the stuff in it's great. The people I live with inside it are great. And yeah, so why why would I want to go out? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. No, it's true. Um, although, you know, playing live music or, or playing in front of like live people rather than them being on a screen. Yeah, I miss that. That's that's the thing. That's kind yeah. of the thing. But I can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about it. True. The other thing is I've also realized I how much I enjoy playing on, you know, on a live stream, on a screen, all that. Like, I think that has just very different advantages. Okay. Uh, different experience. It's, it's a thing that none of us really were doing before, or even if we did, it was just not a thing that we ever thought about. Uh, and now it just kind of has to be. So, you know, uh, like we're all making our live streams better for those of us who were even doing it. Did we lose him? Greg, are you there? Performing arts and such. And and I've come to, you know, really appreciate the nuances of it. I think we're losing you again there. I've experienced. And, you know, I think everyone knows that. But at the same time, there's a lot of other stuff that you get with the live stream that you just don't get by playing in real spaces. For one, I can also talk to everybody who's at the show, you know, and I mm-hmm. don't have to feel drunk people stumbling into the booth trying to make requests <laughs> that I'm not going to play. I'm not playing that song. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So it's it's very much just like, again, all the things that I talk about, you know, loving being at home, I'm just hanging out. I don't have to get dressed up. I don't have to pay TTC fare or pay for an Uber to get home. I get to play whatever I want. I'm hanging out. I'm comfortable. And, you know, if people want to show up and hang out as well, they're free to do so. And the only people who have to be there are people who want to be there. Yeah, that is so true. Paul, I just shut down our cameras. Yeah, that's- uh, yeah just so that we could uh, conserve bandwidth. But I, I want to actually, I want to spend some time on this whole idea of live music versus streaming. Um, I want to start off on the live music side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, before last March, um, you know, you I, I sort of did some research and, you know, you were playing at places like the Garrison, Adelaide Hall, and, uh, and Wrong Bar, among other places, probably, um, I'm just curious, do you, do you remember the last live performance you did? Yeah, actually, uh, the last live performance I did was a friends and family show that I threw in December, um, at the shop, formerly parts and labor. And yeah, it was just a thing that I did. I personally invited like a couple hundred people uh, just to come I'm in a long time next spring. It's pretty much already. 
I have, you know, this whole live visual thing that I'm working on for that and that I want to, like, actually try out in a space with people and see how they feel about it. Yeah. Yeah, so I, you know, was asking people to come in person. I was texting people. I was DMing people. I, you know, reached out to people who, like, I met at other shows and, you know, like, formed relationships with them around that stuff. And I was just like, hey, look, I'm about embark on a very arduous journey of having to constantly sell myself to strangers who despite all the evidence right before them will not be convinced that I am worth the time or I'm worth the, the attention Mm -hmm. for just once for just once I would like to just play a show where I don't have to worry about that. Again, like mm-hmm. the thing that I say about streaming, everyone who's here is here on purpose. Everyone who is here is here because they want to be. Um, and we're just going to have a good time together, right? Like it's all people who I know for a fact care about me, support my music, support my art, support what I'm doing, what I'm about. And so I want to kind of honor that and, and, and just you know, pay respect to those people who've been with me for a long time or a little bit of time, but, you know, have like made that, that impact on me personally. Sure. It was a great time. Have, great night. Have you, have you found that, um, like, have you found that the audience has had to adjust and where I'm going with that is I think about like, you know, at the beginning there was a couple of bands. I remember, I mean, I watched the Dropkick Murphys do their um, St. Patty's day party um, streaming and then there was sort of a lull and then we started heading into more and more musicians and like sessions becoming like sessions live becoming available for support. So did you, did you find the audience had to adjust or? Oh, 100%. Like we're almost a year out and people still don't know how to use Twitch. People still don't know <laughs> how to do that. And I, and this is not, you know, speaking disparagingly, but yeah, it's, yeah. There's a, it's it's a thing that existed before this time, right? Like there's a and there's a way of using it. There's a language. There's a culture. Um, so people who are just like, yeah, live music is just what it is, and I'll never have to think about any alternative to this. Now have to be like, hey, well, I guess I have to remember to tune into this thing at this specific time yeah. from the house, right? Like it's it's basically like we've been trying to teach people how to use cable again. Um, which as a person who in the last few years recently acquired access to cable through my building, I, I still don't know how to use it. Right. Like I still, I know generally how it works, which is you tune into things at the time they tell you it's on, you can search for things in this guide or with this particular interface and, uh, you can watch things, but you also get served commercial, right? Like just all of these yeah. things that we vaguely are familiar with in terms of how they work and what they are. But that's just not how we live our lives. That's not that's not the way that we think about things. So in the same way, it's like you try to teach a Netflix generation how to use cable. It's similar to teaching people who just get up and go- leave their houses to go see shows mm-hmm. how to tune into something at 12 o'clock in the afternoon and engage with the engage with the artist and the audience in a chat. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a lot of new and different things that people are not unfamiliar with in isolation, but they're just very unfamiliar with that experience and engaging this, this particular experience in, mm-hmm. in that language. Yeah. I know you have a, is it a weekly show called Discotech? Uh, yeah, three times a week, Mondays, three. Wednesdays, and Fridays. All right, so three times a week you do this. So is it? So tell me about tell me about that show on 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 your Twitch channel, Discotech. What's it about? What can people expect when they tune in? Yeah, it's uh, it's everything I described. It is me hanging out, having a great time, listening to music that I love, and playing music that I love. Um. And yeah, just kind of hanging out with my friends. I said it at noon Eastern because I was like, cool. You know, even people who are working from home. Hello. Yeah. Can you hear us? Hello. Oh, yeah, I'm back. Okay. Yeah, I, I literally 
watched my uh, Wi-Fi thing just bounce <laughs> off the uh, network and then start climbing up the bars again. Anyway, okay. what was the last word for me? Uh, <laughs> as soon as you started talking, that last answer, you 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 left us. Um, but let me let, let me let me ask it again. Um, yeah, so you're you've you've got a show on on your Twitch channel, Discotech. Yep. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at noon. Correct. That's it. What what can people expect when they tune in? Yeah, it's everything I described before. It's me hanging out at home and just playing a bunch of music that I love. Uh, it's it's a great vibe. You know, I set it at noon because even work from home people get to take a lunch break. So you yeah. know, you pop in. If I play for two hours, you can pop in for one maybe. Um, yeah, and I'm just playing music. The thing that I learned after a couple months is that when you play music that regularly and you play music in one space, uh, as opposed to playing at different venues around the city or going on tour, you often tend to play to the exact same people every time, which is great in and of itself. It's just not what I'm used to. So it's also been kind of like a challenge or an exercise for me in trying to keep things new, trying to keep things fresh, trying to remember how much music I have and all the music that I forgot that I used to play. Um, so it is really just sort of like my descent into nostalgia and a little bit of madness, like live on air, uh, as I just dig through, you know, like gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes of music that I've just hoarded over the years. Um, and figuring out new and cool and interesting ways to play all those things together. That's that's fascinating. Greg, go ahead. Where is Greg? Oh. Greg, you're on mute. Uh, I suck. Yeah, with every show. I suck. Oh. <laughs> Throw it over to me and I blow it. All right. No, what I was going to say was, um, you know, thinking of, of pre pandemic and now what you're going through and sort of the shifts in that and you're talking about this you know ex exploring you know and finding or refining music like how do you think that's going to impact sort of once we get through this how's that going to impact your music do you think uh i don't oh, okay. necessarily know that it's going to impact my music in a way that it already mm -hmm. was like that that i already wasn't doing um, cause like, as I kind of started working on this last EP, it was sort of a, a shedding of all these expectations and, and sort of rules that, you know, either I'd placed on myself arbitrarily or that I, you know, kind of thought that the industry was placing on me that you kind of have to fit into these boxes or that, you know, you kind of have to market things in very specific and tried and true ways and, yeah, so as I worked on this record in particular, it was just me being like, well, what if I didn't, though? What would happen, right? Like, what if I just made the music I wanted to make how I wanted to make it? What if I actually just committed to the ideas and the beliefs and and uh, things that I have and things that I hold to be true for myself as an artist and as a fan and lover of music? What if I did that in the way that I made music? And similarly, that's kind of what I'm doing now in the way that I play, right? Like, I, it, it's my show. It's my venue, so to speak. It's my all of these things. So I don't have to think about the usual things of like, okay, so it's a hip-hop show, so I just play that. Or it's a, you know, a more corporate environment, so I play, you know, more top 40 stuff or whatever. Like, I don't have to think about any of that stuff. I just get to fully uh just do what i want with the music that i believe in and uh and yeah this entire experience of being able to do that from the comfort of my own home and uh and you know still have like an audience who comes back for that and have you know people who continue to seek that out or discover that and, and validate that and be like, Oh, this is such a cool thing you're doing. It's, it's great. And now I'm just like, yeah, I'll never go back. Why would I do anything else? So it sounds like, you know, once, you know, COVID is not a thing as large as it is, as it is now, you know, a bunch of people are getting vaccinated. 
it sounds like you'll probably do more shows like you did at the shop where it's maybe invite only it's uh you know it's it's a it's a it's a pop-up show you know you're not advertising it all over the place versus um you know you're you're part of a bigger show you're one of maybe a few other people you're playing at a place that people know and go to for certain types of music it sounds like you've you figured out what you what you want to do it sounds like this pandemic has really helped you that way yeah i mean i don't necessarily know that i'm going to continue to do like secret shows or whatever like that all the time uh cuz it is still a bunch of work um mm-hmm. And especially like if I'm not getting to do other kinds of shows elsewhere or tour or anything like that. Um, But it's nice to know that I now have the option to do that. And I now also have a year of credible Mm -hmm. evidence to validate choices and certain things. Cause now I can just be like, Hey, you know, I want to play this show or I want to play this way, or this is what I want to do. And, you know, or I can pitch shows or try to work with, promoters or venues or whatever to do a certain type of show and if they're not feeling it then i can just be like well cool i didn't need you for a whole year i don't really need you now um i can like i know what to do otherwise Mm -hmm. or alternatively this is yeah this is fascinating greg i don't know what you think Uh, paul i'll be honest with you we've spoken with you know almost on a weekly basis we're talking with you know musicians um, and a lot of them are just, you know, are, are just not playing, are, are longing for when they can go live. They're, you know, they're doing, you know, some live stream stuff, you know, here and there. But it seems you've really leaned into mm-hmm. this. Um, and Greg, like, I don't, like, I haven't, we haven't really spoken to a lot of people that have no, leaned I, into I, this. I agree. I agree. It's, uh, it's been yeah, it's a fascinating chat with you because, um, yeah, as Cream said, like so many people are they're 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 nervous or have trepidation about it or whatever. And yeah, you you just really you've embraced it, man. It's awesome. Yeah, I the way and I mean, I don't really mean to come off as like uh you know an anti live show person or anything like that. I hope that's not the vibe. Yeah, I hope that's not the vibe I'm giving off, but. And I'm literally writing an album right now that is kind of about how much I miss the club, but also, <laughs> also through the lens, it's 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 kind of about how much I miss the club, but it's also through the lens of like a person who didn't always have the greatest mm-hmm. time at the club or didn't always have the greatest time with the way that the club existed before. Um, and I think that that's another real thing that like we are like artists industry folks venues themselves like everyone just kind of needs to be honest about this and start having honest conversations and dialogues about this which is that the music industry and the live music industry was not an equitable or great place for everyone Mm. certainly not all the time and so in this time where those are just all gone and they're all gone for everyone not just those of us who you know, we're sort of uh, second-class citizens in the live music world, uh, for lack of a better description, but, like, for everyone, right? You know, it doesn't matter how big you are. It doesn't matter how many stadiums you can sell out. You just can't play that show right now. Uh, and so you can do other things. And so now there, this is just sort of a time where, uh, I guess, like, waxing nostalgic about all the things that you used to do and how you used to do them and all that stuff. I think now is kind of the time where you should, where artists should really be having deep and earnest, you know, soul searches Mm -hmm. into that stuff. And I miss, I miss the club, but I don't miss shake, trying to shake down promoters for the money they owe me. And (laughs) I miss trying to like, you know, get a Facebook event, popping and i don't miss overloading everybody that i know with information about yet another show meanwhile all of our mutual friends who are also artists are also doing the same i just don't miss that life i don't miss part of the life and so if nothing else i think the greatest benefit that 
you know, live music, COVID era live music uh, has given us is that we have options being presented to everyone and being presented as viable. Because live streams aren't even new. It's just that, hey, when kind of forced to spend the time learning how to use Twitch or learning how to uh, use OBS or whatever, people will just do it. And people will have a good time. And it'll be a different kind of good time, but people will do it. And there's no, there just aren't any more excuses in terms of what's good enough. So when we, when we get back oh, to, sure. like... When we get past this, um, the the streaming stuff aside, when we talk about live shows, with the loss of an, so many venues, and it's just getting—I mean, it just gets worse by the day. It seems uh, that's not—I mean, it is what it is. Um, do you see? Do you yep. see that level set happening in the live venue circuit, or do you think? Do you think it's going to become more of a challenge? for you know up and coming musicians with with the with the the loss of places to play i think that we're beginning to i don't think that any one uh event is really going to you know be a solve like i just don't see like i don't see any of these even these unprecedented events actually doing much to move the needle when this is all over and we and we have the opportunity to go back to the way it was of course people are going to go back to the way it was the vast majority especially those who wielded power over this situation before right like why would they like what incentive do they have to do anything differently or to approach things differently i don't think there's anybody you know anybody in any significant position of power in the music industry that is doing things out of the goodness of their heart or doing things because they think it's, it's, it's good for the culture overall, or it's good for artists or it's good for any of the, like, that's not real. uh, Like I cannot be convinced that that is truly a, a significant enough motivation for people who are doing stuff like managing and balancing you know, billions of dollars in tour revenue or live show revenue and multiple venues or even yeah. one venue, right? Like at the end of the day, everyone has bills to pay and balance sheets to balance. Um, but what I think is going to come out of this or has at least begun to come out of this is there is more visibility on alternative routes and alternate options for being a performing artist. And I think more options is always just going to be better. More options for artists is always just going to be a better thing. I very much would like to, you know, as soon as we can get outside and safely and responsibly do this again. Yeah. I'm trying to go on tour. I was actively working on setting up dates in multiple cities and all this other kind of stuff. And that's still a desire I hold to this day, but if you know if for whatever reason anybody tells me no because you know i i just don't have to accept that as i just don't have to accept that you know as 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 a definition or as a um yeah as a definition or as a any kind of like judgment on what i get to do as an artist and i think that's kind of the thing that i'm sitting the most comfortable with yeah, there's um, yeah, wow. There's so many directions we can take this. I wanna, I, I I want before we sort of go somewhere else. I want to ask your your thoughts on on uh, on on venues. You talked a, a bit uh, a few minutes ago about um, sort of the dichotomy: having good experiences, maybe when you went as a uh, as a consumer of music, or maybe one of your first performances, uh, and then more recently, sort of having that turn into more negative or bad experience. Um, I'm curious if, if that, if that's sort of a, a general, um, a, a general thing about music and music venues, uh, maybe especially here in Toronto, or if that's, you know, you know specific venues that, you know, you were uh, as a young artist, you know, just stoked to play at that, you know, when you went there was like, oh damn, this isn't as 
as glamorous as I as I hoped or thought it would be. Uh, I mean, both of those things were happening in my life concurrently. Like, I was having great times playing shows and terrible times playing shows and and great times and terrible times attending shows all with like all like week after week. And and I think that that's a thing that kind of taught me about the complexity of live music, specifically here in Toronto. Um, That was kind of the thing that gave me my first insight into, you know, who's in charge of what or who is responsible for why things are the way they are here versus there or whatever. Um, And, you know, you think about Toronto specifically, right? Like venues are owned by promotion companies, right? Like not individual promoters and venues don't necessarily have their own individual in-house promoters. They, you know, they and the promotion companies are essentially synonymous, right? So you think about... um, Danforth Music Hall, which is owned by Embrace, which is in turn now owned by Live Nation. Uh, you know, that's a that's uh, just three sort of parties or three degrees of the thing. But that also that one venue accounts for so much money and so much activity and so much opportunity in live music in Toronto. And then you multiply that by how many venues that, you know, embrace and or live nation owns and then the other ones that they don't necessarily own but obviously get uh i think priority access to uh and then you also in the same breath kind of have to put those up against you know individual venues that are like oh yeah like a couple of people who own a bar together and they're trying to get some djs in or they're trying to get some live acts in and all this other sort of stuff. And even before the pandemic, the th- my gr- my greatest lament for Toronto live music was the erosion of sort of like the middle class of artists. Um, because, you know, you know, 2019, if you were nobody just coming up out of your bedroom for the first time, trying to get a gig, you weren't necessarily going to land at, the Drake hotel, but there was like maybe a coffee shop somewhere or a small bar or some sort of DIY venue that you'd be able to get into and do stuff. And you wouldn't make any money. You'd probably lose money, but you know, you're really only trying to get 20 people out at a time. And, and there's plenty of space for Mm -hmm. that to happen. Or you are, I don't know, Pusha T, who is like one of the last shows I remember playing at a, a Danforth Music Hall, or you're Flying Lotus and you're touring with uh, support, so there isn't even any need for a local opener, or yeah. you're whoever, right? And you're playing these much larger shows, um, or you're the Chainsmokers playing at the ACC, right? Like there's there's stuff way up at the top and there's stuff way down at the bottom, and those of us in the middle class, we kind of have, you know the same six venues to juggle between all of us uh, and you know, they're closing by the day or, and, or they have a very stacked schedules. Right. Uh, And it's very difficult to get into those venues. Even when you personally know people who book those shows or program, you know, events at those spaces and so on and so forth. Um, My mirror just dropped off. That's fine. It did not smash, I hope. It did not. Um, oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's a, there was all of that happening even before yeah. COVID. So, I like, all of that stuff is stuff that I was in the midst of navigating and juggling and trying to, trying to keep my head above water as it was happening, you know, pre-COVID. Then COVID hit, and... And it hit at the time when I was probably the most fatigued with all this that I was ever going to be. And rather than being driven to quit music, it just kind of gave me the space to just not have to play that game. Just not have to think about it, not have to strategize or connive or scheme or any of this other sort of stuff that eventually at some point everyone's kind of faced with the opportunity to do. Uh, or opportunity or necessity, depending on what your situation is. And so I just got to be like, cool, don't have to do any of this stuff. 
none of us are making money, so it's fine if I'm not making money <laughs> doing this or whatever, right? Like everyone is having to spend or pivot or learn new skill sets, so it's fine if I'm having to spend and pivot and learn new skill sets. And yeah, here we are now on the other side of it. And I, again, I, I just have an option that works for me right now. And if when live music comes back, if after the year of very publicly and very visibly doing what I've been doing and doing a great job of it and, you know, proving myself to be reliable, sustainable, an excellent performer, very charismatic, beloved by multiple. If after all of that, you know, promoters, whoever it may be, you know, the larger companies or the individuals, if after all of that, they are still like, uh, no, I don't really have a spot for you or nah, I'm not really like, I'll book you, but you're still going to have to, you know, do all of this Facebook invite stuff because I'm a promoter, but I don't really promote or nah, I like, I'm just going to keep booking my friends to open for all of these illustrious acts that, you know, I'm bringing in or whatever. And if, if that continues to be the same as it ever was, and I hope it won't be, but if it does, then I'm not just left, you know, to hanging in the wind. I'm not just left flapping in the wind. Yeah. So yeah, that's really just been my takeaway from it all. That's fantastic. Nice. Nice. I'm curious about this. Um, your background is in classical music and jazz. Is that right? Uh, very, very deep background at this point. <laughs> very deep background in classical music and jazz. Yes, so, it's way it's way in the background, way out of focus at this point. Okay, okay, so that's way back when, way because what I'm curious about, Paul, is um, that that leap from. I guess jazz is not structured jazz. You know, jazz is probably the best live music for me, at least to, to experience because it's just everywhere and anywhere. Uh, but how, how do you go from classical music and jazz as sort of your, in your formative years mm-hmm. to, you know, the sounds of a DG and electronic music? Uh, I mean, I don't think it was that great a leap because okay. that sort of like my training as a as a player or performer mm-hmm. um, and to be fair i don't think i was ever very good at jazz. <laughs> <Okay>. all right <laughs> you said so you said so yeah i don't think i was ever very good or exceptional at jazz specifically and classical you know to be very good and exceptional is just you know you can you can, play you can exactly memorize and you can that stuff and so whether i was good at that or not doesn't really matter to me anymore um but as a human person as like a youth yeah. i was also still just like a person who hung out with friends who also had music taste and like put me on to stuff and we would kind of like discover our musical taste together so yeah like you know listening to uh a lot of like hip-hop in particular in the 2000s which i I I maintain as kind of like the wildest and I think most um, eclectic in a eclectic coming out of a very linear progression at that time. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think hip hop in the 2000s kind of occupied that space of like anything can happen for the first time ever. Everyone sort of realized anything can happen in rap music. Um, and that would have been about the time I first got interested in in just what production is uh i didn't i don't think i really knew what a producer was or what producers did but i was fascinated by their work so you know growing up listening to the neptunes who basically had you know a hit a hit on the radio every week of the year uh timbaland uh swizz beats to a much lesser extent but then like even a little later after that like kanye coming up right like all of these very distinct producers who had their own sounds and and you could recognize them by the work that they did and the way that they 
uh, made beats, no matter who was on those beats. And so, yeah, like later on when I would eventually sort of figure out what production was, how to do it, how to get into it, uh, it didn't seem like a a huge leap to go from, yeah, like I just make a rap beat to I make a uh, a less classifiable beat because, you know, I just knew how to make music into a computer at this point. It's fascinating. So I want to, I want to go with the sort of the hip hop in the, in the, in the two thousands. And, you know, you've, you've, you've collaborated with Shad on the latest EP, right? And, you know, interested to know if, if you, if you talked much about the involvement and we had uh a bud on to, to talk about hip hop evolution, Darcy. Um, how, how, how much, yep. like, did you have a good chance to talk to him about that? Cause it was really interesting to hear Darcy's view of Shad's awe of meeting some of these people. Yeah. I mean, well, Shad and I have mm-hmm. been friends for a few years, even before, you know, he worked on this EP and before, like I worked on his last album. So, I mean, yeah, Shad is, exactly like one of those friends that I talk about uh, growing up with kind of like putting me onto music and me putting him onto music. And it, it's exactly that relationship. We, we have a lot of interest. We have a lot of shared interests uh, outside of music, uh, but our shared interests of music as well uh, is, is great. And so, yeah, I mean, we talk about it all the time. He, sometimes he would, uh, he would text me. I remember him texting me uh, just out of the blue one day, like, yeah, I just uh, interviewed <laughs> Lil John yesterday. Yeah. Right. Or um, I would like text him and just be like, Hey, any chance you like interviewed so-and-so uh, for the next season? And he'd be like, Oh yeah, we did. Or uh, no, it's not going to make it into the next season. And like, I remember us, uh, uh, <laughs> I remember when he told me that uh, they, they had decided, I guess, like for the purpose of like, I don't remember if it was out of a time constraint or or if they just deemed it not influential enough to kind of make the cut over other things. But when I found out that they weren't going to do an episode on uh, Nelly and the Saint Lunatics, and I was like, that that seems completely insane to me because this was also exactly the the time when. Uh, Old Town Road had come out and was everywhere. And I was like, yeah, Nelly walked so that like Lil Nas yeah. X could run, right? Like we we talk about like country rappers or, you know, country hip hop or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, no, that existed. That existed before this whole, you know, Lil Nas X billboard uh, wow. you know, mm-hmm. disagreement, mm-hmm. right? And and so, yeah, I mean, these are the kind of conversations that Chad and I have all the time because we're both such fans of not just the music for the music's sake, but also, you know, the mythology behind this uh, this culture that's like actually growing and changing and evolving before our eyes. And we're just fortunate enough to get to be participants in as well. How was it working on um, on his album, A Short Story About a War? That was that was a great album. Uh, yeah, incredible from him. I, like, did as you were working? I know. I, I did you work on the whole album or just uh, just the one song? Uh, so I did just that one song. I worked on another song that didn't make the cut for the album, um, but he tells me he like still wants to figure out something to do with it and. I mean, I know I know how Shad works. He has no less than like three different projects kind of being yeah. juggled at any one time. Uh, and he's also very much in the camp of it takes as long as it takes and it'll be done when it's done. So maybe that song will come out for something else. But yeah, so I have Peace War on that album. And yeah, working on that was great. It was... Uh, a little before I had I had started working on my EP, mm-hmm. but that beat actually came out of something else I had done for a friend. A friend of mine was uh, exhibiting at Fashion Art Toronto, so she had a line of like uh, jewelry that she designed, and you know she was like, "Yeah, I need 
10 minutes of music for like a runway show. And I was like, uh, okay, I can, I can do that. Um, I can do that. This was sort of like during this kind of nebulous period in my life when I was just like, I just like, I don't know how to be in the music industry right now, but I know that I just want to, I know that I want to return at some point, And I know that when I do, I'm going to want to be able to do more than I've been doing before. So I need to start just making lots of different kinds of music right now and learning and becoming more familiar with different styles and techniques. And so I made this thing, which was, I like to think of it as like a suite in four parts. And I remember, Mm. you know, and like this was probably months after that. And so Shad came over and I was just playing him beats. We were just playing each other like music. Uh, And he wanted to hear that. So I played it for him and he was like, oh, actually, I really like this second half, these last two parts of the of the suite uh what if we what if we turn that into something else and so you know i just right then and there just kind of like opened up a new session in ableton copied stuff over and then we just like worked on a bit of an arrangement and uh you know tweaked things the thing i really like working thing i really like about working with shad is that he always has a very clear vision of like what he wants and what he's looking for he's very good at communicating and very good at, uh, I think articulating what he wants, uh, to do. And, uh, yeah. So he knew that this was the beat that he needed and he knew what, you know, we needed to do to kind of like give it the, the specific energy he needed for that part of the album, which I hadn't heard any of at that point. And like, he kept very tight to the vest until the day it came out. Uh, but yeah, sure enough, like when he sent me his bars for it, like several months later, I was like, this is incredible. I don't understand fully <laughs> where you're going with this. I only know a little bit about like what the concept of this album is. I haven't heard anything else. I don't know where this sits in the story. Uh, but I was like, I trust you on this. And you know, what you've turned in sounds incredible. And then, yeah, like a year and change later when the album came out, I was like, oh, I yeah now I get it I fully understand it and it still sounds incredible. Oh yeah, that was a what a phenomenal album I thought. Yeah, for sure. Um, tell tell us about Full Spectrum. It's it's been out almost a year now. Coming up uh, on a year. Yeah, it, it took a. Did it take a while for that to come together, or was it just something that it took you a while just to? I guess, sit down and figure out that you wanted to release another album. Uh, I knew that I wanted to put out music again. And I like, I'd been feeling it for a long time. I was like, I'm overdue. It's been too long. And again, that was just sort of one of those, one of those self-imposed sort of uh, restrictions or, or guidelines or rules, which again, nobody's ever like, nobody has ever been checking for me for new music. Uh, before like this year, right? Mm-hmm. That was not a thing. So I don't know why I felt that. But for a couple of years, I was just really feeling uh, almost like the failure of not having new music out. And so it was something that I'd actively known that I was going to work toward. I didn't know that this was going to be it. Uh, I didn't know that this was going to be the thing that I ended up making because again, kind of talking about that nebulous period where I was just like, I just need to spend some time making music in kind of a no pressure uh, mindset. And yeah, that's really what I did. So the songs that, that ended up comprising that, that EP were things that I was just making randomly, just chat. Like one of them is like challenging myself to, uh, to reinterpret or redo, uh, do a track, do a new track using a sample or like a, a a line that I'd written like years and years ago, and it was just sort of like, yeah, as I've gotten older, I don't feel like this reflects me or my musical taste anymore. I feel like I could just do this better now. Another two 
one track and another beat came out of like this writing camp thing that I was invited to that was helmed by Babyface. Um, another one was just this thing again, just hanging out with another friend, playing music for each other back and forth, and then we realized that we had two halves of the of the same song, and then we put those together. And then, yeah, the the last thing that came together, I think, was, or the last thing, not the last thing that came together, but the last sort of track that I that I made to kind of solidify the EP. To the, the last thing that I made that where I knew it was like cool, I have enough music for this now, uh, was the track with Shad, and no. that was enough to do because it was like I know what all the other songs are and I know what's missing. I know if I make this thing that's missing, I can give it to Shad. He's going to know what to do with it and it'll be, it'll be a wrap. And that was that, that those were the various and various disparate spaces I was in when I made each of those different tracks. And at some point sort of realized along the way, Oh, these all belong together. Ah, Okay. The um, you you said a while ago that you're working on a a new EP, um, uh, full length, a full length. Yeah. All right. Is is that going to be music that you know for those people who um are, are watching you on on a weekly basis, if not more on Twitch, um, or who are uh, patrons of yours on Patreon? Is it going to be stuff that they're going to be familiar with, or is this all net new stuff? all new stuff um yeah none of it's really out there there's been one track that uh i so one track that i sent to a friend of mine for she does a she does a a weekly stream where she and a guest will just listen to you know different people's submitted demos and give feedback on them yeah so yeah, I just like out of the blue, just kind of wanted to test test the waters with this one. I kind of knew how it was gonna go, because um, I knew it was like ready enough. And yeah, so that one has been shared. That one has been heard by a handful of people who you know are not really necessarily fans of mine. Sure, and they may not even know when it eventually comes out again. Um, but again, like I kind of that was also kind of why I felt comfortable sending it there. I was like, let me put this in front of a very, very different audience and a very, very different crowd of strangers uh, just to get a vibe for it. Cause I think my mindset in terms of like growing my career right now, going back to like thinking about those practical pragmatic industry things is, yeah, I want to make sure that I can make stuff that even if you don't know me, even if you have every, even if, against every reason to root for me or support me, you are still skeptical. If I play the music, you can't deny it. And that was the response I got from that. So I was like, cool, I know I'm on the right track. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, for those people who uh, follow you on your social uh, channels, uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, they know that you know social matters, social issues – um, are important to you. Um, I was wondering if you could take a moment to talk to us about uh, the Healing Collective and uh, Black Mental Health Matters. Yeah, so Black Mental Health Matters uh, was a fund that, or a, a fund, yeah, a fund that was started by the Healing Collective uh, last summer uh, in the wake of a lot of the... Uh, social social unrest uh surrounding you know anti-black racism on a systemic level all across north america uh yeah this group of therapists here in toronto were like every black person should be in therapy and therapy is not always accessible so let's put together a fund for people to be able to access therapy uh so I saw that and was like, yes, 100%. I myself am in therapy and it's great. I highly recommend it. My wife is also a therapist. Uh, and I was like, yeah, this is very important. 
what can I do? What can I do to, you know, contribute to this? And so, you know, I, I did a fundraiser. I used one of the Bandcamp Fridays as a, as a catalyst for getting some people to pay attention because Bandcamp mm-hmm. Fridays have been great. They get everybody who cares about music excited about buying music again. It gets people who are moderately excited about music interested in buying music again because all of a sudden they're being uh, faced with this conversation around like materially and actively supporting artists. Uh, So I was just like, let me use the momentum from one of these to get a bunch of people interested in, you know, buying stuff off my band camp. And then what I'll do is I will donate uh, those proceeds to black mental health matters and then I uh, got a got a call from a, an anonymous benefactor who was like, "Hey, let's. Uh, how about we do this? Because you should you should you know be able to pe- people who are coming to support you on Bandcamp should be able to support you." So he said, "All right. So here's what we'll do. You know, you just keep track of how much you're making across you know this this fundraise this fundraiser window." Uh, then you tell me how much that is. You keep that money, and I will donate that money. Plus, I will match it. And so, yeah, that was a great thing from a wonderful person who, uh, you know, helped me to get a bunch of money that I otherwise would not have been able to donate and get that into uh, this fund and you know, allow, allow black people across Toronto to access therapy. That's fantastic. That is awesome. That, that reminds me of, uh, you've got this line on your website, um, under, under black lives matter. Don't just talk about it, be about it. Yep. Would, would that be an example of someone's, you know, taking someone who has the opportunity to taking action to empower others? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really it. Right. And, uh, I mean, there it's like, I get it. Life is hard. There's a lot of things we all have to kind of juggle. And then on top of that, life is so much harder or so hard in such different ways for other specific groups of people. Um, and then, you know, you're being asked to care about them as well and take care of them as well. And I mean, you know, that's not fair, but yes, that's, that's just the deal. That's just the deal. So, um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. And look, not everyone can do everything, but everyone Mm -hmm. can do something, which sounds kind of trite and played out, but that's really it. So, I mean, look, not everybody is a community organizer and not everybody's good at fundraising and not everybody's good at making things, but you know, you partner with the various people in your life or in your network or in your social circles who may be better at those things or have access to those things. And you, you figure it out, you figure out a way. For sure. For sure. Yep. So Paul, one of the questions that we'd like to ask our guests, because we'd like other people to our listeners to be able to explore other musicians. Um, what's in your earbuds lately? Uh, well, I mean, in addition to a lot of older stuff that I am trying to remember, because that's just what you have to do. <laughs> to uh, thinking back to albums that I've really been spending time with over the last year, uh, Gabriel Garzon Montano's new album, Aguita, is phenomenal. I'm very excited about it. My my physical copy finally arrived a few weeks ago. Um who else put out some great stuff in the last year and change? Um, just take a look at my record shelf real quick. Oh, the uh, new, well, not new, but the new pressing of the Cowboy Bebop uh, soundtrack is also out. And that also finally just arrived after a long journey to me. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I did, I've been a fan of Kruangbin for a long time. Um, and over the pandemic, as I've been 
record shopping online because that's kind of the way you have to do things now. So it also means yep. I'm shopping online worldwide. So I picked up some, uh, some imports from Japan, some, some records that were only released there. So there's one compilation of uh, some singles that I think they released prior to or around the time of their first album as well as some other stuff that kind of only saw limited releases and no physical releases. And then there's another album of theirs, which is a live album. It was recorded live at Lincoln Hall a few years ago. And that one's also a lot of fun. I mean, I just really like live albums, but in that one, also do some great covers as well. They do like a cover of, uh, ain't nothing but a G thing. And, uh, uh, electric relaxation and some other like hip hop standards. So I really like that. Uh, who else has got stuff? Oh, manga St. Hilaire has been putting out a ton of just like fire all year long. Manga St. Hilaire is just really incredible. Uh, funny, witty, great bars, uh, uh, grime artists from the UK. So been enjoying his stuff and Frieza Chin, who uh, mixed and mastered my EP also. Uh, I don't know if he mixes, but I know he masters manga stuff too. And he and manga actually put out a beat tape as well together a couple weeks ago. Uh, who else got great stuff? Uh, the OBGMs also put out a great album last year. And I think just last week dropped some remixes of Outside. Uh, featuring Claremont the second, also Claremont the second just dropped a new video uh, last week. Um, yeah, I thought I was going to have a no, hard that's time awesome. remembering that's awesome. all these. Where um, do you find the time? You you you've got these uh, discotheque performances. You're you're putting together a new full length album. You're listening to new music. Thank goodness you're not on the TTC or mm-hmm. having to travel to go and do any of these things. It's true. Uh, I honestly, someone the other day told me that Questlove, who has been DJing basically every night of the pandemic for four hours a night. Uh, wow. He spends five hours a day listening to new music. That's what he said. And I have uh, never been the same since. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, I, look, the man puts in five hours just listening to new music and then he plays for four hours. That's that's a full work day plus overtime every For day. Sure. Um, so, I mean, yeah, where do I find the time? I mean, I don't know that I'm finding the time yet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that is true. That, that is true. Yet. But, you know, that's that's sort of the high water mark that I aspire to. So every couple of weeks, I take like a week or two off just to be like, cool. I think I'm I think I'm just out of stuff to play in my brain anyway. Uh, I need to take some time off not playing, not performing, so I can, yeah, just listen to new stuff, go uh, trawl around Bandcamp, fill up my cart, you know, that kind of thing, dig back into my iTunes catalog, all of this stuff, uh, try to find new stuff. Nice. That's, Paul, that's we what- could, I've I've gone through probably half the, yeah. half the things I wanted to talk to you about. I would love to, when the new full length is out, get you back on again to talk about uh, some of the new music, but also some of these things that uh, that we haven't had a chance to talk. Paul, this has been great. Um, Before we let you go, um, where can people go online uh, to uh, check out your discotheque? Where can people go to, uh, uh, you know, to find out more about what you're up to? Yeah. uh, I'm very easy to find online. Uh, at oh yeah, Paul Chin is my handle on any place that I'm on. Um, so you know, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, those are those are kind of the three main ones. If you're if you're really about it, if you're really about that life, Patreon, uh, same handle. Uh, so come join me there and get all the goodies that I'm cooking up. In the meantime, in addition to doing all this other stuff. Because I am indeed doing the very most. Uh, But yeah, just come hang out with me online. 
I'm very easy to spot. My profile picture is basically the same everywhere. And, you know, as of a few months ago, I got shiny, nice blue check marks on most of the, the big ones. So I, it's me. That's the guy. Come hang out. Making <laughs> um, this, this good social media personality-ing. I'm, I mean, I, I feel like I'm going through another personal revolution uh, in terms of my online presence because online presences have just become the only presences any of us have and True. yeah i i th- i think i'm becoming tired of certain things and th- certain ways of of being online so if nothing else you can come online and uh you know just watch my slow and inevitable descent into into pure internet personality chaos Awesome. Paul, again, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thanks for, uh, for being patient as uh, we got uh, Rogers or Bell or whoever we're using uh, to sort out their internet. Yeah, but, uh, I, I hope I don't need to buy a new router because... <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. Listen, we're looking forward to your new music. Um, and for those who haven't, go check out full... Spectrum on uh, Paul Chin's Bandcamp, and again, you can find him at oh yeah, paulchin.com and everywhere else you type oh yeah, Paul Chin, you'll uh, you'll find Paul. Yeah, Paul, it's been awesome. Thank you, man. It's been a, a great great conversation, and we probably could have gone on for another hour. Thank you, Paul. All right, take care, everyone.